Welcome to episode 38 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.com and you can follow us on Twitter at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. If you'd like to pay for our drinks in a future episode, please contact us. And now, here are your hosts. My name is Christian Haas. I'm a developer who embraces extreme programming. I'm Peter Kovler, the code cop. Obviously, I'm fanatic about clean code. Today's guest is David from Linz, uh, also again the powers of remote uh, connections. David has been working as an independent consultant in the soft industry since 2006. As a coach, consultant and trainer, David helps his clients to improve their technical practices, to deal with the legacy code and to manage their teams better. One of his books is named Agile Anti-Patterns and David also helped to get the Software Crafting and Testing Conference to Austria. Hello, David. Hi. <laughs> Great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. So you're very strong in, in terms of Agile, even as a consultant. So why do you think people still apply Agile in a wrong way? So I, I think that or uh, what I saw, you mentioned the book. So what I saw is that some companies uh, see that others are successful by um, being able to react quickly and to get to market quickly and um, they try to copy what they see but are not really prepared to uh, make deep changes to the company itself so they try to copy some rituals like the main selling point of scrum or save um, are that you have some rituals that you can copy and that you can easily apply even if you keep the old company structure but that doesn't work so Uh, Scrum even says that you need some technical practices and you need trust and you need autonomy for it to work. But I think um, most, especially large companies, just overread that uh, part or skip that part of the Scrum guide and um, just do their daily stand-ups and their planning and their um, reviews and uh, think that's it. So they apply Scrum in a very traditional company that's just not ready to, to move quickly. It doesn't have the, the right organizational structure. It doesn't have the right budgeting processes. It doesn't have enough trust or autonomy for something even only remotely agile to truly work. Mm -hmm. You say it's failing on the cultural change or the, the lack of willingness to completely change the company at the core. Is it done? Yeah, I think that's just often necessary. Like some companies just play what I what I called agile theater in my book, like where um, they they do all the rituals, but it's basically like a stage play. The people don't uh, believe in it, and they truly they don't truly live it. They they just play theater um, and, and do some rituals, but it doesn't really affect their their own work their own work just um, continues like it was before it's like mm -hmm. cargo cards right they're doing the rituals but nothing else yeah, yeah. 
I've read somewhere that we we shouldn't use that word anymore. But yeah, it's it's basically like uh, what what others have called cargo cult, but uh, maybe maybe the cargo cult has a, a a little bit of a different spin to it. Like um, it's cargo cult is is more about um, copying something that you don't understand and believe that it will work, and um, the the theater is more like you know when you're in a when you're in a company that that had like five different C CTOs in the last five years and everyone uh, did a different uh, reorganization of the company and then the sixth CTO comes and says, now we're trying Scrum and uh, everyone just thinks, yeah, okay, now we'll play that for a year and then the next CTO will come and then we'll do safe or whatever. So the people don't really believe in it. They just, they just play their role in a game. Uh, but but then it's only cargo cult on the on the sea level, right? <laughs> Maybe, they, yeah. Because you said you you use two say, you, two things. You said you repeat something that you don't understand. So if you do like the stand up without understanding anything about it's you're just repeating it and then hope to get the benefit. And then yeah, the maybe. people maybe know more, but they are, they have to follow along, right? So there's, there's no point in in really engaging uh, because the organization does not allow that so we just play the theater yeah maybe but um that that's not the only problem that can happen and another thing that i've seen in a, in a couple of past clients is that they they keep their old departments but are now supposed to uh to work in feature teams but they don't have feature teams they still have the old communication paths like um you still ha have an ops department and and some testing team and you have to communicate with them and then there's friction in that and another thing that could happen is is on a smaller scale that teams are just not ready from a, a technical point of view to really release high quality software often like every two weeks or even more often if you want to go um, down more a, a continuous um, delivery path, then you should be able to release high quality, well tested, and done software at the push of the button. And um, most teams also lack the the technical skills or practices to do that because they never needed them before. So we have now a. a pretty much at least two decades of all this agile topic, which is in, in terms of technology speak pretty much ages. And we still have a need for training and in, in agile ways and, and conversions and or starting from fresh. And do you, David, see, um, or rather, how do you see the difference and the ratio between people that simply need basic information on applying an agile process because they haven't done any before they maybe are fresh from the the training university school what have you compared to already settled in companies that need a transformation to an agile process how do you see that ratio i think in in many cases we're lacking both so um there's definitely a, a lot of new developers in this industry, I think the number of software developers is doubling every um, couple of years. So um, mm -hmm. there's there, there's always more um, uh, uh, new or less experienced developers than uh, more experienced. 
So uh, maybe we need uh, more training for them, but um, there's also, I think, a lot of especially uh, traditional um, companies that um, just don't allow really successful software development to happen. So I'm trying to avoid the word agile right now because I think that the word itself um, comes with a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. um, I I use it I usually use it a lot because uh, people can relate to it, but not everyone in a positive way. Okay, so <laughs> if you turn to hook already in here, do you mean then even uh, so already after these two decades of trying to get everyone doing agile, we realize okay, agile has become way more than it should have been, and right now we're looking for a new uh, a new title how to call modern software development. Which is again the next call for the next buzzword. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I've read discussions about um, how agile has failed, or how um, now modern agile is the new thing, or uh, software crafting was the new thing like ten years ago. Um, uh, and I, I'm not sure if that is uh, really um, getting somewhere, because on. I mean, uh, extreme programming or Scrum by themselves were good ideas that that have been working for some teams. For some, that there's teams that are have been doing extreme programming for 20 years now, and it it still works for them. Um, I've read somewhere that when you have a good idea, people will either um, misinterpret you and completely destroy your idea, or they will ignore you. So, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's really uh, leading somewhere trying to find a better name for mm -hmm. what we do. So, and this is then where you come in as a consultant to help teams better understand what the best fit for them is. Well, um, to be honest, I, I haven't been doing that in, in quite some time now because um, I've realized that I... Um, that doing technical stuff, technical coaching, writing software, um, technical trainings, um, it's just a little bit more fun for me. So uh, everything I did in the last year or so was more on the technical side, like um, teaching TDD, writing software for one client, or I, I have a team that I coach in, in Germany for a, a, a few hours per week, but um, purely technical. Peter, do you see a similar trend, I would say, that Agile has become too much of, well, boring, and it's now more back to programming practices? <laughs> uh, it's nice that you asked me, uh, because we had this little chat already before the recording, right? And I was scaring off David from using Agile too much. So... <laughs> I'm not using Agile, I'm not selling anything, I'm uh, just making fun of it. So when I'm talking with clients, then uh, we do everything we can do with code. And then I would say I'm not doing Agile because I'm not doing people pointy head, whatever crap. So, uh, but we can do everything with code, which is fine for me. Which is of course also not the whole truth. So for me, Agile is like since at least 10 years, it's just buzzword full of misconceptions and 
similar to what you said, David. So it means a lot of things to a lot of people, a lot of businesses depend on it. Maybe we use it in our sale because, as you said, people can relate to it. So it has some meaning to some people. So, so like agile, uh, technical agile coaching or something has maybe meaning to some people, but it doesn't have a real meaning to me because all I have seen is like scrum butt and <laughs> uh, uh, scrum waterfall or what was what, what was that? Uh, it huh. has waterfall in the middle. So Water scrum fall. Yeah, thank you. Exactly, I saw that. It was called Disciplined Agile Delivery in IBM, but it was water scrumful. Uh, <laughs> that was the discipline part. Uh, it was extremely not disciplined on the code, but it was horrible on the code, like crazy. Everybody did whatever. Uh, had no idea. So, yeah, it doesn't mm. mean anything to me. Um, Often I realize, or at least I, I think of myself, when I do, for instance, my introduction that I embrace extreme programming, what I primarily think of are all the practices. And then, of course, yeah. the, the processes that come with it, these are, the, for me, the auxiliary things that I will also consider and, and like. And to some degree, I see them compatible with Scrum, for instance. Yet for me, the, the main things that I like are the, 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 all the practices of extreme programming. Yeah. And people who understand the stuff will will know how to read your introduction. Mm. And people who have no idea, because they are doing Kanban since few years and cargo karting, sorry for using that again, David. So maybe later <laughs> you can tell me why it shouldn't be used anymore, uh, maybe because of colonial uh, things or something. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so sort of negative uh, past um, experiences. Oh no, I lost my train of thought. Well, people, um, you're doing lean and yeah, compared to... Kind yeah, of and they have no idea. And they've never heard of uh, XP or they have never heard of Kent Beck and they've never heard of test-driven development. So what, what is that? Like, how can they even survive? So if it's then more the, the practices, how is... Hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm again looking now for where is the niche market or where is the... What is the hipster thing to do right now? So is it <laughs> is it to in invest into development practices because in five years it's then the new thing that has to be done? I don't know if, if it's the new thing to be done, but um, it's it's something that I I have fun with right now, and I I think you too too. Um, <laughs> I've, I knew you for some years now, both uh, both of you and. I think both of you are very much into the technical practices. So, uh, Christian, why why do you focus so much on them? Not because it's the hipster thing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the old guy thing to do, like the old guy with beards. So we can soon join that. Maybe not Christian. I've never seen you with a beard, but uh, <laughs> uh, so that's the old guy with beard. So I don't know. You you asked what is the what is the current hipster thing? I would say uh, drag and dropping together artificial intelligence applications in a MVP style of startup. No, and put blockchain on it. Oh, I can understand. Oh, okay. of course, blockchain. Yeah, AI and blockchain. Yeah, I forgot. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's try to avoid going that route now. <laughs> Okay, so and okay then if if it's about development practices, David, how how do you see then in in this case, in, 
do you have any so do you see any differences between i don't I'd say new coming developers fresh from school compared to somewhat experienced ones uh, in the company a few of years compared to seniors already several years in the field um actually not really <laughs> so i've i've seen uh very young and um also um ra rather um old or experienced people who were extremely interested in that stuff and who who wanted to learn everything and who um who wanted to have good discussions on topics like that and i've also in in all age groups seen people who are uh, not interested at all in this because they think they don't need it um uh, i think very um inexperienced developers fresh from school or so sometimes have never seen the the problems before that we are trying to solve like uh, samir talwar uh, once told me that we cannot teach tdd at university because at university you you never um, stick to a problem long enough to see the benefits of tdd mm -hmm. so you, you you never have a project that that grows big enough so that you suddenly have to refactor everything or that that the tests you wrote or the design you created will prevent the bug or help you with future design or something like that. So mm -hmm. maybe some younger developers have just never seen the problems we are trying to solve. Or um, if, if you've never seen a really bad uh, legacy system, you might not um, appreciate the Mikado method where you take uh, really, really tiny steps um, towards the right direction and maybe work for for um, hours or days in a very disciplined process with uh, ridiculously tiny steps. And if, mm -hmm. if you've never seen a, a software that's so bad that you need this process, then you might not uh, appreciate that this process exists. Nice idea. I like it. I just wanted to add something uh, in, in my experience, experienced developers have an additional problem because some of them think they already tried it and have a negative attitude towards. So I agree you said like there are young people that are even really interested in improving their technical uh, expertise and there are old people or maybe not necessarily old in age but like long in industry who want to do that and vice versa i agree but then there's also like a group of old people when you talk about tdd yeah they did it and it didn't work for them and so <laughs> didn't do it uh or maybe they did it but usually they tried it or they read about it and and that's it and, and that's maybe an additional problem there Just yeah i i think i wrote about this um i i think i've called it the mock object strap um, and, and later uh, reworded it into the TDD trap, um, where I basically wrote that um, when you try something like TDD and you do it wrong, you will not recognize immediately that you're doing it wrong. You will write a lot of bad tests, maybe for, for weeks or so, 
until suddenly you get to a point where your tests are preventing you from writing software. Like you try a refactoring and, and 35 tests break. And then you've tried to refactor the tests, but it's not possible because they're so closely coupled to the production code. And then you you get the feeling that you've wasted one month of, of your life on TDD and that it doesn't work. But it was not that it doesn't work. It was that you recognized too late that you were doing it wrong. Does that make sense? Sure, and it brings me on the path of the question. To which degree one needs to have all these experiences? So it might be great that when you say, for instance, that Samir um, avoids teaching TDD at that early stage, because the people need to have some sort of an experience. So it's you need some sort of an evolutionary path and experience path until you wait, until you then only at the, some time you get to the point where, you're, well, for instance, now you're ripe for test-driven development, or now you're ripe for refactoring, or now you're ripe for proper naming, whatever the practice would be. And so is, right, is this, is this evolutionary path necessary? And how long does it have to be? Or is it, know, as always, an it depends question? Mm -hmm. This is where my thought goes now, right now. It reminds me a lot about this uh, famous article of uh, teach yourself programming in 10 years compared to learn language X in 21 days book, like <laughs> dummy book. Um, a lot of things take time. Have you have done in you have these plateaus where you're maybe for some time you're not improving, which is uh, called a plateau in, in like training and maybe eventually you will uh, overcome that. So yeah, it takes time and that's a problem for young people, right? They are like out of university, uh, three months later, they are working on mission-critical software, but they didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. And we can't even speed it up. Or maybe, David, you have the magic formula, because <laughs> I know you also do TDD trainings and stuff, so we try to speed it up. Of course, that's like the job of a, of a good teacher, maybe. But can we? Like, can we really? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, we try to speed it up, so... Um... The, the one thing I try in training, and maybe we could um, try to institutionalize that also in, in onboarding people. I don't know if that would be possible, but what I try is to, um, I, I try to show people first uh, things that doesn't work or things that are hard. And so, for example, um, when I started TDD training, um, I explain the, the, the three phases, red, green, refactor, in like five minutes or so, or even shorter. And then I tell people to develop some piece of software in a test-driven way. And they're absolutely not prepared for that, and they struggle. And I don't really help them a lot in this first hour or so. And then we talk about um, everything that was hard, and then um, for some people, it helps them uh, realize what they didn't know about TDD and what they want to learn in the training. Okay, so this, is this also a difference between uh, what someone needs and what someone wants? Some people say what they want, but what they actually need is something different. Totally, Just... because we want the, like the fit body and the, the 
tool that helps us to have a fit body. We use it five minutes every day, and it's it goes it folds under our bed, right? <laughs> That's what we want, but we don't. It's not existing. So, mm. sorry, I broke your your <laughs> thought again. But that's what I was thinking. So, well, okay. today we want everything now. Like the whole industry is, is on instant gratification. I want to have this thing. I I shop now. Like I click on buy at this moment, and maybe tomorrow it's on my door. So mm. now. And then uh, if you need 10 years to learn programming, it's not now. Right? It's like the, it's totally unpopular uh, to spend that much time on it. I don't know. What, what do you think? Is, yeah, is that no, related also, to what you were saying? Maybe, yeah. Um, and, and also to expand on that, it, it takes a lot of time. And some people just don't um, get a chance to spend that time like yeah. some of us um, have enough uh, spare time and enough uh, money and a good infrastructure at home and we enjoy working more than others and um, those of us probably even when they have a, a job where they cannot grow um, they they can try to grow their development skills in their spare time but there are a lot of people who just don't have the spare time or don't have the infrastructure or don't have um, enough uh, spare money or enough uh, security to do that. And when they are stuck in a bad job, then they are stuck in a bad job. So, um, and also I think that's bad for for the companies that do not allow their uh, people to grow on on their job because in in the end um, in software what I, I think one of the most most important factors um, to towards success is how fast you can respond to 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 um, changes from the outside, how fast you can be uh, to market when you need to. Like when the outside world, world changes and you have to change your software, how fast can you do that? And I think you can only do that um, when, you, when you're really good with all the technical practices. And then on top of that, you need an orga organization that can do that. But um, the, the, the organization, the the organization that can do that can only do it if 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 the the people who are doing the work are um, prepared and if if they are following good technical practices. Mm -hmm. Well, this this all of this now uh, sounds a bit bleak. So yeah, you, you <laughs> that. So uh, what would be a positive aspect of this? So how could one can oneself prepare for this? So if if I'm a, a willing developer. Or at least a curious developer, where to start, and what to expect, or how to lever the, your expectations. David, have you some? Did you encounter such questions from people? Yeah. So um, one thing I I read about, and also I tried with uh, one team, was to have um, this lunch and learn thing, where you have lunch together and learn something in your lunch break. Um, 
I think that would be a fun way to do that. Doesn't take too much time, if even if you um, don't have time, really time to learn in your spare time. I don't know what else could you try. You could. Um, so I, I personally, I learned obviously a lot from the communities I'm in, like um, from from you two and and many other people I'm discussing with. Um, but I also learned a lot from just reading books. So that might work for some people. I've also heard people who say they they don't really relate to what they read in a book or they don't really can remember it. Um, and maybe one of the, the most important things is um, ask for help. So <laughs> when I, I often ask random people, um, almost strangers on, on Twitter or somewhere um, whether we could discuss something, what's their opinion on something. Um, and most people are really helpful. And if they're not, um, if they don't have the time or if, if they're even, if they're unfriendly or something, um, then yeah, just don't ask them again. But um, asking for help when you need help um, is, um, really worked well for me. Mm -hmm. well, how do you to um, do those things improve? And I mean, you are both very active in different communities, but so anything I, else? As you said, it's uh, I think my 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 major point is that people have to do it in their spare time. But of course, I see it's also like uh, Emily Page is talking about this that you need to have this privilege as you said it to be able to do that so maybe you're a student and your parents are paying for everything or something so then you can allow that or you have enough money so you don't need to work all the time or whatever so it's really hard so there has to be the balance so you can always try to find another company i think even as junior you are in a position of luxury in our industry so if you can't find the time like because you have kids or like a single parent or something then you will definitely not have the time to study node or something in the evening but maybe you can find another employer that uh, that has this lunch and learn sessions at least right so maybe one point would be to make people aware of things that some companies have like one client's of mine is is running code retreats in in like every two or three months in work time mm -hmm. uh, that's something right not everybody yeah, can cool. attend some have deadlines uh for sure some people don't feel too busy whatever but there is like you can attend a code retreat um, several times a year in work time that's not huge that's not a training that's not java one in in uh, in the united states or something it's something so Maybe companies are also too shy advertising this. Like both sides. I rarely see companies really saying what they all offer on technical training and some companies just have these ridiculous offers and maybe they do something. You don't know. So finishing my thought, when you can't find the time on a personal time, then maybe look for companies that do that. To a certain extent, and um, I don't know. Uh, I I just want to also make the point here, or or um, yeah, um, that 
that it makes sense for companies to actually offer that. Like when you when you think of, of a very traditional development process where you have a lot of manual regression testing. So basically you, you want to do a release and some real person has to test everything. It takes a week or so for a few persons. That's, that's a huge amount of man, money and um, this money is some operational expenditure. It's, it's OPEX, it's um, the money you spend it to make sure that this release works and it's gone. And as soon as you change a single line of code, you have to spend all that money again. Mm. Theoretically, if you had a really great software design, then you would maybe change a line of code and then think about, okay, I changed the line of code in this part of the software, so I'll only test this part of the software. But this only works when you have a really great design with a uh, loose coupling, no side effects, and where where every every concept has its place. And I'm I'm pretty certain that a company that doesn't care about automated testing also doesn't have a great software design. <laughs> not, <laughs> not because the two um, always go hand in hand, but just I, I I think that most companies either care about both or about none of those two, or get mm. both right or get none of those two right. So basically, you have this this huge amount of money that you're spending with with every release or or very often, and that that money is just that money is just gone. And what if you could spend this money in a more meaningful way? If you if you spent this money on um, automated testing, then you're not preventing a single regression. You, you're preventing regressions in the future, and you. Um, enable safe refactoring and you enable evolutionary architecture. So then it um, becomes ca uh, capex, it becomes a, a capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. So then suddenly that money is an investment and not a cost. So um, training um, your developers to do evolutionary design, to automate testing, to um, do more um, exploratory testing um, can turn uh, some some cost factor into an investment into the future. So I I would really hope that more companies would just con consider doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, so in, in that case, okay, so great that we have it now from a different perspective, both on a, from a perspective of people who want to expand on themselves as well as for companies, what the benefits would be for them. So, and I understand, David, you, you are the go-to person for both sides. So you can... <laughs> <laughs> you I, can I provide... hope so. <laughs> well, it's good. So, yeah, it's great to have it on, on, on this uh, expertise then. So with that, I, I say we have a good wrap from this discussion. Thank you, David. As for local events, now we have the, the dual view of Viennese and or Linz events. Sadly, this year there is no so software crafting and testing conference in Linz. So, David, you're, you're keen on having it next year. You, we hope you have it next year. Yeah, we are, we're just discussing what we can do because mm. um, we canceled it this year. It would have been like last week or so. Mm. But mm. we did cancel it because we did not want to bring it online. Um, some others... Um, have tried to also do open space conferences online and I think it works very well um, but just uh, we didn't want to to do it because it was always a 
rather local event where most people knew each other. I mean, we had guests from uh, Croatia and Germany and Switzerland, and um, but still, it was uh, more more local than other conferences. And yeah, maybe next year um, we will um, we will try to do it again in in autumn, but um, we'll probably decide on relatively short notice. Mm, yeah, usually, yeah. Usually, we we were planning Socrates um, for over a year, so we usually had the date of the next conference before this year's conference even started. Mm-hmm. And next year we'll do it differently. We, if we will do it, we will announce it on rather short notice, so maybe a few months before it, and then um, also. Um, make the organization a little bit more uh, simple, like not so much advertising and not so much a franchise and yeah. (laughs) Lean conference. (laughs) Yeah, a a lean a lean community conference. It gave me a great idea, David, so we could like uh, IP block uh, like uh, and only have Upper Austria. (laughs) Only Upper Austria to see even the the page to register and then... (laughs) Yeah, so but it could it's still be local. Be the again. same, right? <laughs> could be local now. It's a good yeah. point. On the other hand, like I was taking part, maybe I talked about that already in the last episode. I was taking part in a coding dojo uh, with uh, Softex Kammer Berlin, and the guy I was working to was actually from Softex Kammer Munich. So it was it was totally not Berlin or whatever. So it just who was available. Was great, right? It's great if if you know the people. Maybe if you don't know the people, it doesn't help you to connect. But like I know some there and also in, in Munich, so that's nice then just to meet them again. I don't know how it would be if you know nobody, like if you're a newcomer and then not even in your own city. Well, I guess Linz has a quite good answer on this because of the uh, I know of the existence of this technology plausal or technology chat from a. Mm-hmm basic translation right now, which is pretty much the, the go-to community in Linz. Is this correct? Yes, it's um, it's the most broad community because it doesn't have um, any restrictions uh, of topics except that it should be somehow related to technology. So mm-hmm. not even computers. <laughs> not necessarily computers. Um, but this is I, I see this community as as one that is well very flexible and big enough. So yeah, it's, big it's enough. Huge, it's yeah. quite big, huge. But also um, the the technology plowshell did not move their uh, events online, so they mm-hmm. they are on pause right now too. Ah, I think yeah. that the uh, there's some smaller meetups in Linz that that are doing their um, meetings online. Like there's a new. Uh, Rust meetup, um, but I think the bigger ones did not move online, which would be Technology Plowshell and the JavaScript meetup. Yeah, and then we will have like a global day of Code Retreat. Will be on seventh of November. So I guess that's uh, really relevant to this episode. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard anything of anybody hosting us or something. So. There could also be one on 6th of uh, November, like Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I'm still looking for a company, like I'm looking at you, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, well, but we don't need a company uh, because it's like remote. So it's 
doesn't well it would need at least one good zoom account so ah, i'm looking at you david uh, <laughs> uh, so you can host us uh, I, no. I can sponsor the zoom account yeah uh, <laughs> well, i don't know maybe uh, maybe it's really time to because we are recording this earlier so that gives us another month so maybe it's really time to think about organizing it so it's really happening it would be a real shame if it's not happening but you want to do it online um well, well, we, we will could, see. We could do it on site with uh, the pro. Well, we can't do pair programming, can we? Uh, well, but we, we we can figure it out though, right now. We we don't have to solve it though. At least for the people listening in. So if you're interested in in trying new practices and meeting new people and well taking part in the community, Global Day of Code Retreat is pretty much the the go-to uh, event yeah. happening. And like Peter said, this year, in a few days after publishing of this episode. And if you're interested, the homepage will be in the uh, description of this episode. Yeah, and then we'll maybe do a registration for the local event. It used to be easier with a, with a hosting company, so... Yeah, we will figure that. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and that brings us back to one of our discussions, right? So... I need to spend my personal time. Maybe I can read books, which is also personal time. Maybe my company can do something for me and the community. I think, David, you also mentioned it, but then uh, Global Day would be one opportunity to enter the community because usually we have always we have some really newcomers, not necessarily newbies, but also people coming in from like from another country. We had a guy from Burgenland in our last uh, little code retreat, and now he's like regular, and yeah, and he's in touch. So it's it's also helping, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think a, a code retreat is a great opportunity to um, to get started here because it's only one day. So I mean, it's a whole day, which which is a lot, obviously. If if you're really um, stressed out or don't have time, a day one day is a lot. But it, on the other hand, it's it's only one day, mm -hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> you'll get to know a lot of different people. Like at least six different people you will work with closely, right? Mm -hmm. In in the six sessions, mm -hmm. so you will get to know six completely different people, and you will learn something from everyone, and you will be able to to connect to people and maybe network. So. I think the the Global Day of Code Retreat would be great if you want to um, get in touch with with uh, communities like that for the first time. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds like Linz is running it this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Ah, come on. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. No, I knew that I can talk into now. Um, well, that's that's the nice thing, right? We We can have it. Um, we don't even have to run it, right? We can put on a registration from another event, basically, because it doesn't make a difference. So we can just hijack another event and then show up with like 20 people from Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we just need to know where to. Okay, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's see. <laughs> it will be in the link, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything, yeah. <laughs> the Vienna subsidized retreat will be in the show notes. <laughs> oh, no. Well, then, uh, awesome. speaking of speaking of, of subsidizing, David, do you have anything to announce and or advertise? So we give you about one minute of free advertisement time. 
one minute of free advertisement. I've written two books and I think both um, are um, very much relevant to what we've talked here. The one is, uh, one is uh, about agile anti-patterns, so uh, things that go wrong when big companies or, or also small companies try agile. Um, I've, a paper version? Hmm? There's a paper version on Amazon and you can also still get it for free. So both books are still free. I'm uh, I will probably remove the free version um, early next year, but um, Christian will put the link to the free version into. So it's not not exactly free. So you will give me your email address, and then I will send it both <laughs> both PDFs to you via email. So it's it's not free at all. And the the second book is even more rel relevant to what we've talked here. It's um, Quick Glance at Agile Engineering Practices. Um, and it's it's a part one. Um, it's about writing software, so it's it's about um, the tools that you use, um, how to how to decide on the tools, how to um, why you should write unit tests, how to write tests, um, how TDD can help you, and stuff like that. So it's it's very much about writing software, and I tried to keep the book really 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 short. So it's um, usually one or two pages per topic with only the most um, important information and a few ideas what to Google next. So it's mm. it's not a complete um, reference manual. It's more like um, a menu of things that you could try out and some information on the topic and some ideas what to research next. And oh, that's great. Those yeah. are appetizers. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, great, thank you, David. And <laughs> again, thank you for, for being with us for this episode. Thank you for having me. With that, thank you, the listener. And we will see each other and hear each other in about uh, four weeks again for another cup of delicious developer melange. 